You guys doing all right? Good, good. So we've been, uh, all this summer, we've been doing a series on Genesis, on um, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Um, and if you've been here, we, we've, we've repeated some things every week because we think consistency is good. And um, But we've been going through Genesis uh, for a couple of reasons. One reason is we want to inspire biblical literacy. And Genesis is the place where it all sort of begins. And your story begins with God, and the beginning of the God story is Genesis, right? So the beginning of your story is Genesis. Genesis gives you context, gives us as a church context for who we are as a people, who we are, and it's and it's important and it's exciting. How many of you guys have enjoyed the series on Genesis? Yep, I I loved it. I had a couple of times where I got handed um, messages that I so I, I got handed one that I was really excited about and one I was not excited about. And when I dove in, uh, I've obviously read these stories like a million times, right? But when I dove back in, I saw so many things that I'd never seen. Um, in my life, and so it's been good for me. I really like it, and I would encourage you guys, if you've missed um, any of the uh, messages this summer on Genesis, uh, go listen to the podcast, because they connect really well, and there's this really amazing arc, interesting, you know, like, not like Ark of the Covenant or Ark, Noah's Ark, but like a arc, literary arc, <laughs> right? Meaning a, something that happens over the whole, you know, more than just the individual stories. You see a greater story happening, which is, um, as you can imagine, the more important story. Anybody watched all the Harry Potter movies? All right, that's an arc, right? There's individual stories and there's a story that goes across the whole thing. Well, guess what? That's happening in the Bible. And guess what else? That's happening with you. Right, And so it's not all about the individual messages and these little verses we like to cherry pick. There is something that happens when you stand back at 3,000 feet and look down and see things in context. Right. In fact, it's very easy to misinterpret or misunderstand things when you see it just, um, you know, in the micro fashion. Right. Yep. So Genesis helps give us context and helps, helps us understand the whole story. Right. Anyway, so we, um, as we were putting this series together, we thought it'd be really fun to cap it off with something special. And so we do have something very, very special today. We have my friend Scott Volk is going to speak with us today. Scott is um, really, Scott and his family are real precious to this church. They're on our board of directors, and they've been part of the conversation for a long, long time. And um, there's so many good things I could say about Scott and his family, but... Um, one thing I just want to say is I think most of you, I imagine at some point, if you've been around long enough, you have run into uh, one of their children, one or the other. And, and, it, and, and being a parent now and realizing how hard it is to be a parent, I'm just so impressed with how amazing their family is. They love each other and they love the Lord and that just blesses me and and they're heroes to me in that way that I would really love my children to be like their children when they grow up. <laughs> or maybe halfway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, give Scott a round of applause and let's welcome him up to um, speak with us today. Thanks, bro. 
I love you, man. Love you too. Why don't you guys reach reach your hands out towards Scott and let's just bless him. Lord Jesus, we just bless Scott. We bless the the word that you've placed within his life. The word that you've placed within his life, Lord Jesus. And we just ask that you would uh, just open up this well, this deep well this morning that we could receive from the goodness you've placed within uh, Scott, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, bro. Thank you, Queen City Church. Great to see you. I feel like when I come here, um, in a way, coming home, we've watched Queen City grow from, really, its inception. And uh, one of the first people I got together with when my family moved down or moved up to Charlotte. We moved up from Pensacola. How many years ago, honey? 14 years ago. One of the first folks I got together with was Rob. And I remember going out to uh, lunch and uh, there's just been a, there's been a tight connection through the years. So it's great to be here today. And I'm honored to speak on the heels of your uh, series that you just completed in the book of Genesis And I feel like I've got a word from the Lord for you. If I were to entitle my message today, it would be dry bones. Or the God who gives life to the dead. Dry bones or the God who gives life to the dead. There's an amazing progression or arc through the book of Genesis that doesn't stop when Genesis is over. It continues through scripture. Some people view scripture as linear, but it's really not. It's more like this. It's the same story over and over and over again. Oh, maybe said in different ways, but the theme that I see in Genesis is the theme that I see in the word. And it's the the theme that I see where Israel is concerned, namely the God who gives life to the dead. And I want this to be encouraging to you today, not just because I was asked to speak on Israel. You guys just finished the section on Joseph. Joseph is now bringing his family into Egypt because of the famine that came. His brothers don't recognize him. Joseph, an amazing picture of a man who forgives his brothers, welcomes them in and actually brings a form of salvation to his family. That's how Genesis ends. And now we're getting ready to begin in the book of Exodus. I just want to go over a few points before we talk about the people of Israel. And I woke up early this morning. I've got these in a just kind of a a formatted way. Listen to this. The book of Genesis starts with nothing. If you remember the very, very first verse in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says the earth was formless and void. You know what void means? Void means nothing. My head is void of hair. There's nothing there. Void. Nothingness. And then God speaks into nothingness and life comes. I remember Robin once spoke at fire and I was sitting on the front row 
And he said, I want you to reach up to heaven and tell God what you need. Remember this, Robin? So Robin came walking over. He goes, Scott, what do you need? I said, hair. (laughs) And he said, well, you reach up and grab it. Well, it didn't work. (laughs) I mean, it works when we ask God to give us what we need because he wants us to ask. But when God speaks into death, life comes. There's a scripture out of the book of Romans when it speaks of Abraham. Thanks so much, bro. When it speaks of Abraham, it says he believed in God who gives life to the dead. You may be standing on a promise that has not yet come fulfilled. Last time I was here, we spoke on the life of Abraham a little bit. The devil might want you to think that promise is dead, not with God. Don't be discouraged If you don't yet see life in something that God said there was going to be life. I'm not much of a tweeter, but I shot a tweet out this morning as I was preparing. And it it said something like this. I don't even remember it. If something appears dead, it doesn't mean that God is through with it. Whether Whether it's a promise that he's given you. Whether it's your own satisfaction in life, friend, if you've got a a heart burning for God, yet you feel dead in your spirit, God wants to breathe life into you. That's who he is. It's what his desire is. Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Genesis starts with no life. And God speaks. Spirit of God was moving on the face of the waters. Then God said one breath of God brings life. We read on in Genesis, Adam and Eve fall in the garden, perfect environment. They fall, they sin. And then God shows up in the garden and he looks at the serpent. And you know what he says to the serpent, the devil, there's going to be someone that I am going to send that's going to rise up and crush your head. Speaking, Genesis 3.15, speaking of the Messiah who will one day come. And now God is looking for a people through whom he can send the Messiah and he finds Abraham. And Abraham receives this promise from God in Genesis chapter 12. It says, Abraham... Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, there's something interesting about Abraham, and I spoke about this last time I was here. His wife, Sarah, had a dead womb. No life in Sarah's womb whatsoever. We believe in God who gives life to the dead. If God can look into a void nothingness and speak life, what's a dead womb to God? Sarah gives birth at the age of 89 or 90 years old. And then the promise that God gave to Abraham, he gives to his son, Isaac. And you know, what's cool about Isaac? He married a barren woman, someone who could not conceive her womb was dead. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And you know what Jacob did? He married a woman who could not conceive, her womb was barren. And out of that womb, Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, 
He has 12 sons, among whom Joseph was one of them. You studied Joseph last week. I want you to see the pattern, the ark. God speaks life. He gives a promise. Things seem like it's, there's no way that promise is going to be fulfilled. God speaks life. Reaffirms his promise. And then it looks like there's no way that promise is going to be fulfilled because of the deadness of another womb. And then God speaks life over and over and over again. Because he desires to give life to the dead. That's who God is. Over and over through the book of Genesis, death, life, death, life, death, life, death, life. Jesus... Think of Jesus. He was born. He was raised. He was lowered into a tomb. And he's raised again to life. That's the pattern of scripture. God wants you to experience abundant life. To me, that encapsulates the book of Genesis. And now, the children of Israel are in Egypt That's where Genesis ends. I believe you're going to be picking up uh, next week, maybe the book of Exodus. I don't know what, I don't know how you guys are going to be doing that, but I want to just tell you something with regard to Israel, Jacob, one of Joseph's sons, whose name was Israel. Today, when you say Israel, a lot of emotions can rise up inside of you. Oh, that nation that's causing all these problems in Israel. In the Middle East. Oh, this oppressive nation who is really mean to Palestinian people. That might be how some people feel. Other people might feel Israel, God's beloved nation. I want to encourage you with something because we're going to talk about Israel today as a people and as a land. And it's a little bit difficult for me to do it. Because I lived for 45 years of my life as a Jewish believer in Jesus who didn't want to hear about Israel. As soon as somebody would say, I want to talk about Israel, I was like, no, talk about something that's a little bit more relevant to the church. Because to me, everybody that preached about Israel when I was a young guy, Israel-related messages attracted all of the people that I didn't want to be around. (laughs) Guys carrying three and four shofars into a church building to see how many they could blow at once. (laughs) I I once saw this woman in the front of a church with two shofars in her mouth. Blowing them simultaneously together. And I'm thinking, what? You know, it's, it's like, man, we're going to break down the strongholds of twice as many devils because we can blow two shofars at once. And I was like, get me out of here. That was just me. I'm just telling you, I'm not a, look, if you blow two shofars at once, teach me how to do it. I think it's awesome that you can do it. But to me, the Israel crowd Waving Israeli flags, doing all the minor key songs and the dances that don't appeal to me at all. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I'm a Jew. My dad was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. My mom in a conservative Jewish home. I went to Hebrew school every Tuesday and Thursday until I was 11 years old. After public school. But the issue of Israel had no relevance to me. And I venture to say, if I as a Jew could live without a relevancy of Israel in my head and in my heart, how much more people who weren't raised with an understanding of what God's heart for Israel is? 
But I'm telling you, the theme of Genesis, the God who gives life to the dead. The theme of Israel, God who gives life to the dead. We were, um, when Olivia, I've got five children, I've got four adult kids, and Olivia, who came as a wonderful surprise from the Lord when Beth and I were 44 years old. Woo! We were putting a, we were putting a puzzle together on the floor of our uh, TV room. Which is something we did before she went to bed. We had, we gave her a choice. We'll tell you a story or we can watch a video or we could do a puzzle. She chose puzzle. So Beth and I are sitting on the floor with Liv. It might have been a 30 piece puzzle. And we're putting that puzzle together and the lower left hand corner of the puzzle, that piece, and they were, you know, fairly big pieces. It was a kid's puzzle. It wasn't there. And I'll never forget. We said, Oh honey, I'm so sorry. The, we're missing a piece to the puzzle. Let's just pray and go to bed. And they were like, she was like, no, we've got to find the piece to the puzzle. And I'm like, there's no way (laughs) this girl's never going to go to bed because there's no way we're going to find the piece of the puzzle. Beth left the, left the room and ran upstairs to look for the puzzle piece. She found it miraculously, (laughs) brought it downstairs And we put the piece to the puzzle on the puzzle. And Olivia went from being depressed to like this big old smile. Like now I can go to bed. Because the puzzle piece is here. I want to liken that to Israel. Because Israel is an important piece. It's not the whole puzzle. It's an important piece to the church puzzle. And the reason why Jesus came that many of us are willing to not have as part of our puzzle. We're willing to move on without that puzzle piece in the car. It would be like you're, you're a family with 10 kids. And they're all young between the ages of, of 1 and, and 12. And you've got 10 of them. And you get in the car... And your wife's sitting next to you and she goes, honey, let's go. And the kids do the count off and, oh, there's only 10 kids in the car. How many kids did I say that they had? That's eight. There's only nine kids in the car. And the little one, the one-year-old is still in the house. Oh, let's just go, honey. It's okay. Let's just go. No, you never do that. You want to make sure all the kids are in the car before the bus leaves. And I believe that there's a kid not yet in the car where the church is concerned. Are we willing? Are we willing to be burdened for this piece of the puzzle? Are we willing to ask God if we play a role in Israel's salvation? Do you know that the Bible says salvations come to the nations, the Gentiles? If you were not born Jewish, The Bible says Gentile, which is not a bad word. Salvation's come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. There's an ultimate purpose and plan for Israel. And that's the piece of the puzzle I want to talk about today. Okay, so God chooses Abraham. He's he's a man that shows up on the scene of Genesis chapter 11 and 12. He chooses him. And he gives him a covenant that says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it's through your seed that that serpent is going to be crushed. Remarkable. Just find where I am here. (laughs) Through your seed. 
It's very interesting. The devil's no dummy. And he knows that if there's a people through whom Messiah is going to come that will ultimately crush him, I believe that the devil's going to do everything he can to crush that seed. Have you ever, do you know, do you know that in the world today, the Jewish people and the Chinese people are about the same age, so to speak. The history of the Chinese people and the history of the Jewish people, they're about the same They've been around as long as each other. Anybody know how many, how many Chinese people are in the earth? 1.4 billion. There's, there's 1.4 billion Chinese people approximately in the earth. You know how many Jewish people there are approximately? 14 million. That's a big old difference. For every one Jew, there's 100 Chinese people. Think about that. One person. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about it, but it's not because Jewish people don't like to have kids. Actually, they like to have kids more than Chinese people like to have kids. Many Orthodox Jewish families have double-digit kids. Chinese people, one, maybe two. Throughout the course of history, listen to me, there's been a diabolical plot To wipe Jewish people off the map. You know why? Because Satan knows that through them and through their seed, his head is ultimately going to be crushed. So he's going to do everything within his power to wipe them out. I'm not going to start your Exodus series today, but I want you to look at a scripture in the opening chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. And verse 22, 15 and 16, and then 22. This is what it says. The Jewish people, the people of Israel are now in Egypt. They're growing. Uh, Pharaoh dies. Joseph dies. The people of Israel are proliferating. And the king gets a little freaked out. So it says this, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. These were the midwives who were delivering. They weren't Hebrew. They were Egyptian. But they were delivering the children for the Hebrew women. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the midwives, one of whose name was Shifra and the other whose name was Pua and said, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and you see them upon their birthing stock, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. And then went on to say in verse 22, every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile. And every daughter you are to keep alive. Do you see something? The plot is continuing. The ark. We're going to wipe out the Jewish people. We are going to see them come to nothing. This is the devil's desire where Israel is concerned because he knows that there's a Jew coming that will fulfill the prophecy given to Abraham. If you look at, at Matthew chapter one, verse one, first, first words of the new Testament, you know what it says? This is the genealogy. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's where Matthew starts the lineage of Jesus because that's where God spoke and said, someone is coming through you that's going to crush the head of the one who deceived Adam and Eve 
and the one who caused sin to be brought into the world. If Satan can destroy Israel and the Jewish people, he proves God a liar and he wins. We know the end of the story. (laughs) Okay, let's just, I just want to continue on just a little bit through the Bible here and listen to a couple of these quotes. The book of Esther chapter three, Esther chapter three, verse eight and nine. Remember, God gives life to the dead. And if it's, if it's appropriate for Israel, then it's appropriate for you. If God made promises to Israel, he's made promises to all of his children. We can apply them to us. We can't steal them from Israel, but we can apply them to us. Listen to what Haman says in the book of Esther talking about this diabolical plot to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Esther chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. There's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. They do not observe the king's laws, so it's not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. You've got this guy, Naaman, Haman, I'm sorry, Haman, who goes to the king and says, listen, these Jews, they're different from everybody else. And it's not going to be good for you. So let it be decreed that they be destroyed. The book of Esther's a remarkable book. Do you know that it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't have God's name in it anywhere? God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but he's weaving his way behind the scenes. He's making things happen. He's causing an Esther to rise up that's going to stand in front of the king. I believe today God is looking for those Esthers who will stand. No, to reveal the plot of the enemy that wants to see Israel annihilated. It was true 4,000 years ago. It's true today. Think about this. Matthew chapter 2. You read the story around Christmas time. Remember, A diabolical plot to not only destroy Israel and the Jewish people, but to see the lineage of Jesus totally and completely eradicated. Matthew 2, 1. Are you guys okay? All right. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged and sent uh, and said and sent them and said to slay all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which was determined. Do you see this? Kill every Jew. Because there's something about Jewish people. There's something about the nation of Israel that God wants to demonstrate to the nations. His name will be glorified through Israel. And yet, where do we ever hear messages on God's heart for Israel? Even in the church today. I pastored for 25 years of my life. Never spoke one message on Israel. 
Until God opened my eyes. Israel has everything to do with the church. If Israel can't experience life from the dead, then you can't experience life from the dead. That's the theme of scripture. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And there's a purpose in your abundant life. And that is to see the king return. And that is to spend eternity with the king and to live for him and make his name glorious on the earth. And that is God's call also for the nation of Israel. And Israel needs the church. You've been saved, according to the book of Romans, to provoke Israel to jealousy. Listen to the Hamas charter. That was Haman, book of Esther. 2,500 years ago. Listen to this just a little over 25 years ago. This is our generation. Most of you are 25 or older. This is in the the Hamas charter. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it just as it obliterated others before it. The day of judgment will not come until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Now, I just want to stop there for one second. Listen closely to me. God has a plan for the Muslim nations. God loves Muslims as much as he loves Jews. God loves the nation. God is not, don't misquote me on this, God is not pro-Israel. God is pro-people. And that means every tongue, tribe, nation, he would that none would perish, Muslim or Jew. Chinese, Japanese, black, white, American, African, it doesn't matter. He loves the nations, but he only chose one nation through whom salvation would come. And that is Israel. That's the Hamas charter. How about Adolf Hitler? In his final solution, which consisted of a scheme to totally annihilate Jews from the face of the earth. In World War II, six million Jews annihilated because of a demonic plot to eradicate the earth of a God-given promise. But God doesn't let any of his promises fall by the wayside because he's the God who gives life to the dead. The Ark of Scripture Out of the ashes of the Holocaust, a nation was born. The nation of Israel. 1948, next year is their 70th, 70th anniversary? 70th anniversary, next year. Israel, out of nowhere, life from the dead. Listen, Israel itself, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Few of you. If I brought you to the Judean wilderness in Israel... It is as stark and dead as you can imagine. Mark Twain, when he visited Israel, actually wrote, I have the quote somewhere, but not with me this morning. He actually wrote, Mark Twain, who would ever want to live in this God-forsaken land? Desolate, dead, but that's the land that God chose for his people. Listen, if I was God, I probably would have chosen San Diego, (laughs) As the promised land. You ever been to San Diego? Palm trees, 75 degrees, nice breeze, no humidity. But you know what God chose? A barren wasteland because he's the God who gives life to the dead. He doesn't choose like we choose. 
Scott, where do you want to live? Oh, Honolulu would be great. Nah. Who, who are you going to talk to and say, where do you want to live? And they're going to choose some Middle Eastern desert. God. <laughs> because he wants to turn the desert into a fertile plain. He wants to see springs rising in the desert. He wants to see trees of life that stand by the, by the rivers that flow in a desert. That's who God is. He's the God who gives life to the dead. He's the God who spoke in Genesis and created a world out of nothing. I want you to listen to God's heart for Israel. <clears throat> First Chronicles 17, 21 says this, who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom the Lord has redeemed to make for himself a name. He's redeemed Israel so that his name can be glorified. Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you, Israel, will never be shaken. Never, because God made a promise. Friends, if God makes a promise to you, there's no way on earth that he desires not to fulfill that promise because the Bible says he keeps his covenant to a thousand generations. If God fails where Israel is concerned, he fails entirely. We think we're truthful if if 99 out of 100 things that we say are true. Not God. He's all true. (laughs) A hundred out of a hundred promises, all his promises, we sang about it this morning. Yes and amen. That's why God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We're so flippant with our words. Sometimes we, we kind of, uh, we kind of imagine that God is with his word the way we are with his, with our words. God's looking for truth and people who will do what they say. And mean what they say. Because that's how God is. If he says it, he's going to do it. And when he told Abraham, I will, I will, I will, I will bless you. I will make your name great through you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the Israel that is going to come out of Joseph and Joseph's lineage and Judah's lineage who are now in Egypt where you guys are going to pick up next week. Throughout scripture, God calls Israel my people. You'll see in Exodus, he finds Moses. Children of Israel are being 400 years. They've been slaves. And he looks at Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Mine. Mine. You know, God calls you his now. You've become his possession. But that doesn't mean he's let go of Israel as his possession. Israel rejected the Messiah so that the nations of the earth could come. You're sitting here today because Israel's rejection of Jesus, the gospel goes to the nations. Gentiles are now saved and part of the family of God. And it's not like Jew Gentile. It's one in Messiah, Jesus. You get that? But they're still part of our family that's not on the bus. Do we have a burden for that? Do we desire to see it come to pass? God calls them my people. If God's, if God's in the passenger seat of the bus you're driving, you're not going to look to God and say, let's just go. They'll catch up with us some other time. No, they're mine. 
They're his possession. Listen to the scripture from the book of Amos for chapter 9, 14. I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. Wow. I want to try to bring this to a close. And I'm going to do it by reading a scripture to you. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up or your phones to the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Throughout scripture, the theme, especially where Israel is concerned, is life from the dead. You know what? I'm just going to read it from here. Life from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus wept three times in scripture. Anybody know where he wept? Lazarus. Shortest, shortest scripture, I think, in the Bible, it says Jesus wept. Book of John, I think. Jesus wept. He wept over Lazarus. Anybody else remember where Jesus wept? Huh? Over Jerusalem. Coming over the Mount of Olives, and he looks at Jerusalem, and he wept over Jerusalem. One other place in scripture. Where? Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. I love going to Gethsemane. Hebrews chapter 5 said Jesus prayed with loud crying and tears. What happened to Lazarus after Jesus wept? Raised him from the dead. What happened to Jesus after he wept over what was about to come upon him? God raised him from the dead. Jesus wasn't weeping because death was ultimate. Jesus was weeping for an entirely different reason that maybe we can't even grasp. But every time Jesus wept in scripture, there was resurrection except over Jerusalem. Listen to this scripture. I'm going to, I'm going to read about half of this chapter. If it's easier for you to, to follow along just by closing your eyes, I want to encourage you. I want you to grab hold of this scripture, Ezekiel chapter 37. Dry bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them. Round about and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of those bones to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. Man, even as I'm reading this, you know, it's one thing to pray over a dead person who's been dead for three days, but how about praying over a valley of bones? You can't even decipher what one body is from another. It's just a stack of dead bones. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will give breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. 
Behold a rattling. The bones came together. Bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinews were on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Amazing! Is this some fairy tale? Just a walk in, you walk into Queen City Church one day, and there's nothing but bones here? Who's going to be the one that listens to God and says, speak? God says, speak, and you speak breath, life. That's what God did at the beginning of Genesis. Nothing. Nothing there. And he speaks. Then God said, it was his breath. His, his breath, in Hebrew, it's actually ruach, which means spirit. He breathed life. Some of us stop in this story right here. And we were like, we're doing our dances. Woo! Life from the dead. And then look at the interpretation of the vision. This is how God explained the vision to Ezekiel. He said this. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We're completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. And I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord absolutely and completely incredible. You might say, Scott, they're in the land of Israel. They're in the land of Israel, but they don't know Jesus yet. I fully agree with you. If you read on in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about God bringing them back to the land and then sprinkling water on them and making them new. I believe 1948 was a partial fulfillment of this dry bone passage, but Israel still does not know their Messiah. And what is our role where that's concerned? Church, Queen City Church, Oh, Scott, I just come to church on Sunday and I go to a prayer meeting once a week and I live the rest of my life. Friends, there's a piece to your Christian puzzle that I believe God wants you to embrace today. And that is this, that salvation has come to you to provoke Israel to jealousy. Scott, I don't go to Israel. I don't even know a Jew. You're the first Jew I've ever met. I don't think you have to go to Israel or even have to be around Jewish people to fulfill your role where Israel is concerned. You've got to carry a heart for Israel. Paul, who was called the apostle to the Gentiles, according to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, he lived with anguish and sorrow because his people, Israel, still did not know their God. I'm going to close with one scripture 
And that is Romans 11.11. I'm a big 11.11 guy, but that's another story for another day. And I'll have Robin reinterpret 11.11 for me because I see it all the time. Romans 11.11 and 11.15. I say then, Israel did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's you. Listen to me. Israel's rejection of Jesus opened the door for the nations of the earth to be called sons and daughters of God. Because of their rejection, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Verse 15. For if Israel's rejection is the reconciliation of the world. In other words, they rejected Jesus, so the world is now reconciled back to God. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Stand with me, please. Life from the dead. That's what God wants to do with Israel. That's what God wants to do with you. If you're living a life and you feel dead in your spirit, God wants to breathe life. If he's promised you a son and that son has not yet come and you're 99 years old, which I don't think any of you are yet, it doesn't mean that God is through. Don't let the appearance of death make you think that God is done. God is the God who gives life to the dead. Yeah, grab, grab a seat a second. I want to tell you a little story. I want you to stay right Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, a number of years ago, I was preaching in Palm Springs, California, which is desert. And I was preaching out of Ezekiel 37. Really? Yep. And the Lord, um, actually verse 9 of Ezekiel 37 says, prophesy to the breath, the Ruach. Yeah. Actually, what he's saying is, Speak to the Spirit. Really? Yeah. People say you can't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Well, you can when God tells you to tell Him what to do. Because <laughs> they're one. He knows. So, thus says, this is what you're to say to the breath. Prophesy, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded, and breath came. So I'm in Palm Springs, I'm preaching on this. And in the middle of my message, the Lord uh, shows me, you need to speak to the wind to blow in this place. So I did, which sounded sort of ridiculous. But I did what the Lord said. I said, wind, come. And I spoke to the wind based on Ezekiel 37. Well, that night, a windstorm came up over the mountains and blew so hard it shut down the interstate because sand covered the roads. Wow. Which is, sounds crazy. But no, here's the point. I believe today we're supposed to speak to the wind, to the breath on behalf of Israel and say, Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe on these slain yeah. that they may live. I believe that's what we're supposed to do today. How many of you willing to stand with me? I want to read this. Let's read this together. How about standing back up? 
Then we're going to take up an offering for Scott because he always tells us not to. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I like to give money to right there. <laughs> Say this after me. Thus says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath. Come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe on these slain. And breathe on these slain. That they may live. That they may live. The Bible says, so I prophesied as he commanded and breath came unto them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. I resent the lie that we are unable to affect yeah. Israel from here yeah. by faith. I resent that. I resent the fact that uh, some say we have no more authority than to obey the Word of God, something quickened by the Spirit. So, we do, by faith, yes. in foolishness, we say, Holy Spirit, based on God the Father's recommendation, we say, blow on that nation. Yes, Lord. Blow on Israel, Holy yes, Spirit. Lord. Blow on those Great bones. God. Raise them from the dead. Amen. Cause the revival fires yes, of authentic reconciliation to Amen. come Amen. to the nation Amen. between Jew and Gentile, between yeah. Arab, between Palestinian, between yes. every people group. Yes. We ask, Father, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. You know why it seems ridiculous? Because in the natural, it's utterly impossible. It's just, it's, it's absolutely, there's no politician that's going to ever figure this out. None. It's, it's impossible. Peace accords are Im without the Ruach, the breath, the spirit of God coming. It will not happen. I don't care what your political alignment is. We need Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah to, to, to inject his spirit there. And that's why we're the church. He's raised up the church think, think, to do that. Think about it this way. If God cannot bring peace to Israel, why would we believe he would somehow bring right. peace to the United States? That's right. Why would we somehow believe he would be, bring peace to any other nation? Yeah. It's that, it's that significant. I'm just seeing, yeah. I'm yeah. just seeing that it's that significant that we would pray for the peace of Israel. Yeah. Why? Because for the peace for the rest of the world. Yeah. It's like the litmus test. Mm -hmm. It's like the trial run. Yeah. It's good, bro. Got me, I haven't, they haven't let me preach in a long time, Scott. So. It's only 12.15. That's not really true. <laughs> no, here's what we're doing. I'm so excited about the, um, the series we're doing. We're actually going to pick up. I'm going to do a recap. Stay here. I'm going to do Jew and Gentile, one new man. Um, we're going into the book of Exodus all the way through Joshua, Judges, and the Kings uh, between now and Christmas. It's really going to be cool. We have a whole stable of folks that are preaching. You're going to share, and I'm I'm really excited about That's it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about the ones I'm going to do Passover. Is that going to be something else? It's going to be something else. That's right. Keep that death angel away. It'd be awesome. <laughs> God bless you, folks. It's so good. So glad you're here. Um, be praying for the school systems again. I think that's really important that we keep that. Uh, in prayer, we have all our kids going back to school or the homeschoolers or private schools, so many different directions. So God bless you folks. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you again.
We do have ministry teams. Thank you, Bambi. Awesome. If you need prayer, if you need prophetic ministry, if you need to be healed, if you need to be prayed for, if you will come right over here, we will be glad to minister to you. We have people that are trained to do it, and they are good at it. So, once again, God bless you. Have a great week.